Welcome to Behind the Camera, a show dedicated to the producers, directors, technicians, and all the people that bring the images of sports to your television every night. I am your host, Uncle Jesse. On today's show, I welcome in Damon McGavick. He's a technical director out of Houston. He does college football for Fox Sports as well as a bevy of other sports. He's all over the place, a fantastic TD, been in the business for a long time. Damon, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks. It's a, a pleasure. Yeah, I, it's a pleasure I, for I me thinking, too. I was watching the other podcast uh, with the other guys. I was like, I just said, man, I just love to be a part of. It. Yeah, well, I'm glad to have you with us. So it's, it's, I miss you. We did college football for two years together, and I miss you guys. Miss the crew. Told the Uncle Jesse story a few episodes ago. So, you know, I I loved I loved those years, and uh, I do miss hanging out with you. And I, and I still have you in my uh, phone as E Rock. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I got so many nicknames at this point. Who knows, right? It's great. So how did you get started in this business? First of all, a crazy story. I was, I was going to be a basketball player and be in the, I thought I was going to be in the NBA coming up through high school. And the next thing you know, I have to uh, decide on a major. Because I was uh, you know, trying to choose uh, colleges to go to play at. So uh, because of Darren Stevens on Bewitched, he was an advertiser. I chose communication. So me getting in communication, I got into uh, you know those uh, those things because of the hours. I had to go to school in the daytime and uh, you know uh, basketball in the evening. I had to have some uh, some flexible hours. So the only thing that I could get into advertising and everything in communication was nine to five. So television was the only thing that was left. Went to Colorado and uh, I got into television. First thing I got into was Master Control. It was about uh, 82. Did Master Control at the PBS station from about 5 a.m. I signed on until about 7. Then I did my classes from 9 to, to about uh, 8 to about 3 or so. Uh, basketball practice from 3 to 5 or so. And then varying on the days, either I was uh, on the radio station as the doctor of soul, Darren Keith, which my none of the basketball <laughs> nice. players knew about it. <laughs> and uh, and also I uh, ran camera for the channel uh, NBC affiliate in uh, Pueblo, Colorado. So that was a lot of fun, uh, you know, running camera and learning how to splice film, of course. Uh, after that, I was bitten with the TV bug. Came to Houston, uh, had some difficulties. I've uh, told people about it, you know, getting into the business. And you know, I had, uh, had plenty of jobs on with my resume, you know, two, two years experience running camera and editing and stuff like that. And, you know, you show up at uh, these production facilities and things like this, like, oh, uh, well, maybe we can send you someplace else. The good thing is that some people had good enough heart to send me, uh, give me about five other uh, references. I wound up in uh, at Channel 20 in Houston, uh, and uh, TVMP uh, did the same thing, kind of turned me down, sent me down the hall to master control, and that's where uh, everything started. But let, let me tell you this funny story. This is a funny story. My first job in Houston in television was running camera for, I think it was a Hearns Duran fight. It was preliminary fights, and they showed it on closed circuit on the screens. And me and a guy named Dan Bluss, this had to be like 84 by this time. I graduated in 84 and later on, uh, uh, he hired me to do a job. And of course, you know, I knew uh, from working in the TV station, I knew about setting up, uh, you know, everything was already set up, but you never had to build a camera. So me and this guy I'm sitting next to and standing next to, we're on the platform 
and we're like building the cameras and each of us like looking to the side saying, oh, how do I do this kind of thing? Because I remember where things are supposed to be, but I never built a camera. And uh, he's looking at me and I'm looking at him. And lo and behold, it was both of our first day on the camera, building a camera. <laughs> so you got two guys, two guys that don't do know what they're doing building a camera. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> looking over each other, trying to cheat on each other's paper kind of thing. That was a lot of fun. And uh, uh, lo and behold, I ran camera at the summit quite a bit for Tim Joplin, uh, uh, better known as Tunk. And uh, he's, the, I guess, the creator of the, uh, the monkey video. And uh, if anybody has seen that, every, much many people have seen that. And uh, later on, I, uh, he decided that I was better at running tape. Uh, he would. He, You're he such rather, a great camera guy that he promoted you to tape. <laughs> I'm, think, I'm thinking he was like, okay. Well, you're okay running camera. Let's see if you can find something else you can do better. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll try something else. That's great. Yeah, that was funny. He he uh, he uh, uh, moved around taping. So I was a utility uh, replay tape guy for a, few, a couple of years until I got into tape full time. Wow. And then uh, you did say you worked for John Crow Productions. You eventually worked up to being a unit manager for him? Yes, I did. And uh, the, along the way, of course, at Channel 20, we had some great, great guys there. It was like, you know, uh, Jeff Montoni was the head of sports. Uh, we had Rick Stocksdale there, was there running camera. Paul Bukowski, was, when he was running camera there, he's now directing. Jeff Muckleroy, you know, he ran tape and produced. He's a producer now. You know, we had some really quality. And I'm, I'm, I am uh, keep telling myself not to name names because I'm going to leave somebody out, but it was some incredible people that we worked with there, a great team of people. You know, we were all young. And, uh, you know, uh, me becoming the unit manager, uh, you know, there I, I kind of got stuck. I, I wasn't allowed to TD. When I used to go uh, run tape, I would watch the MEs to uh, see how they, you know, did, did pre-production. So then I would go at the studio and then I would recreate it because because I worked overnights. I did that for like God knows how many years. Worked overnights and then was a full time freelancer. So you just sneak in and uh, play with the switcher while you had some free time. That's what I did, and, and I and I learned all the things that you know guys did, and you know, and then I would the things that I didn't know. I would you know you ask around, and then I go try it on the switcher overnight when we run some of those long road throughs, and uh, it was uh, it was it was quite experience. When I became a unit manager, it was probably about 94, somewhere around there. And that was, uh, that was an experience because a lot of people didn't really realize what the unit manager did. I did uh, travel. I did crewing, of course. Uh, I uh, handled money, which is, the, the, you know, and, and uh, dealt with a lot of the uh, payroll issues and stuff. We had no cell phones, so I had a, a pager. So, especially in March, when it's around playoff times, it's like, okay, when you're in the airport and you're trying to decide where, where you're going to go, depending on who wins, you're having to call 15, 20 people up on a calling card. And the only responses that you can get from those people, if they're not home, because nobody has cell phones, is on your pager. Yeah, so, it's not like you, you know, can just send out a text to the group and say, hey, this is where we're going. You're actually no. hitting pagers and pay phones at that time. It, you know, each, each, yeah, you, it was, it got a, a page in, in this, uh, and you just call each individual, you call them up. Can you work uh, such and so day? 
had to make the travel with their uh, calling card on their payphone. It was it was a uh, it was an adventure to say the least. I I can't imagine like I'm a spoiled young kid that we've always had cell phones as long as I've been in the business in some form. I do remember pagers, but I can't imagine it's hard enough for Ambling putting together 40 crew members right now just to go to dinner, let alone try to get them all like, hey, we're going to this next site the next time and you don't have cell phones. That's amazing. Well, think about this with, uh, you know, then after you get to the show, then you have to TD and then you're still managing you're, you're now you're a tech manager and a TD. So, you know, you're making, you're making sure all the equipment is there. You, the EIC and the truck driver, you work together and you, you, you just pull off magic. Yeah. Well, it looks like we're going for any news station or any smaller station or small production. You're doing a little of everything. I mean, it's, it's the world we live in. I, I do a show now, same thing. I do a TriCaster and I'm doing a bunch of different things. It's just, it's, it's those smaller shows, but I will say you learn more on those smaller shows than you do on the big shows because you learn a little about everything. You learn how to do all the all the parts, the pieces, all the jobs. And so I know for me as a director, it's made me a better director doing some of those smaller shows where I had to learn everything. Yeah, you, you understand what you're asking for. Yes, no, for sure. I don't. I, when I'm asking for something, people, you know, I, I know if I'm asking for something that's over the line because I've been the person who's been asked to do something over the line. So you know, <laughs> now you live in the Houston area. Have you ever worked for NASA? Yes, that was one of the best jobs I've had. I've had, I've had, for my whole freelance career, starting in '84. Uh, I was intern in uh, Colorado and and worked, but. The jobs in Houston, I worked at Channel 20, and the only other real job I had was NASA. That was absolutely incredible. Because now, uh, and I have to thank Pat Lowry for that. Uh, Pat Lowry uh, came in the business a little bit after me. We ran tape together. And uh, I mean, she just exploded. And, you know, she would, uh, we'd talk every once in a while. It's like, oh, now I'm, I'm uh, working at NASA. Oh, now I'm a producer at NASA. Now I'm, you know, you know, next thing you know, she's doing all the negotiations and she's head of the department. So she, uh, I'm thinking at this point, I've, I've gone full-time freelance for the first time. And uh, I worked for John Crow, which was a, a job, but it was more like a freelance. It wasn't like, you know, 40 hours a week. We, we yeah, did a lot of Yeah, we like to call that. Yes. And, uh, we would at NASA. I would I would uh, edit, direct. We had a NASA show, uh, direct those, and that's where there was a big transition. This is God's working. You know, it's like it was the big transition from uh, me running a 1680 switcher and uh, a 300 switcher. I thought I was in heaven getting a 300 switcher because I had emms, and then uh, then I, I get to this place. And I have an Abacus A52 DVE. I have this little small switcher. And I'm trying to remember the uh, the editor I have. We're editing on D2 and M2. M2 is another format that the astronauts would bring down. And you basically had to, some things you had to build timelines to uh, make the DVE effects uh, or whatever it may be. And I learned how to build timelines uh, through that. And there was a guy there, Dexter Herbert, uh, he, Helped me along because I was not a real editor. You know, I, I learned to edit and I became pretty good at it. And so that was very exciting. That was, uh, that was, that was some of the best working. You're sitting along with astronauts and they're uh, making videos for whatever, you know, uh, 
a speaking engagement that they have or whatever, whatever they needed to support what they do. And it was just amazing. And when missions happen, you're seeing things real time and live. I mean, you're getting there at four o'clock in the morning and whatnot. So, and let me piggyback, piggyback on this. One of the reasons why I took that job, uh, I was, uh, when I was with John Crow, my assignment was the Dallas market doing the Rangers games with Bob Steinfeld and Kurt Dykert, uh, director and producer. Bob was the director and Kurt was the producer. Uh, San Antonio Spurs. Uh, Mike Kikarillo was uh, directing those games, uh, working with, and Daniel Ashcraft later became producer there. And, and uh, Mike uh, allowed me to direct some, some games later on uh, when he had his uh, daughter, which is probably now 20 some years old. I don't know. At that time, my whole deal was with Pat, and I'm sitting down with Pat, and Pat knows I'm a freelancer. And I was like, you know, can I flex my hours? You know, I have, you know, I have, I have, uh, you know, people that uh, I've been doing work for, and I don't want to just go off the map. So she said, yeah, she worked it out for me. I would go to um, uh, Spurs home games. I would uh, go to work at 7 in the morning or so at NASA, check in, do whatever editing I needed to do, uh, do whatever preparations, leave there around noon, catch a flight at 1. That's when we didn't have security. You just run through the airport at Southwest, catch a flight, to San Antonio, land at two, get there around 2.30 or so, get a rent car, get there around 2.30 or so, set the show up, do the home show. And I, I did the whole, the Spurs home show for 11 years. I worked at NASA for about two, but <laughs> that was, that was uh, I just wanted to put that in there for a little bit with the, with the NASA thing. I was going to say, I think everybody at some point early in their career, if you're a freelancer full-time, has done that. I mean, I know days where I was working at the studio full-time and then you'd hustle down to the hockey arena to try to do the game that night. Or you might, after a Friday show, drive overnight to try to do a show on Saturday in another town. I mean, we've all done the grind. Like it's, And it's, it's funny how somehow we always pulled it off. I mean, there's a level of like, there's a lot of times I shouldn't have made the flight, shouldn't have made the drive, shouldn't have been able to get there in time. And somehow you just, by the hair of your chin, make it. And that's how you, that's how you get in this business. That's how you get your, get your name out there. And like you said, you've done the home show for a long time. So. And, and, th and that's how you learn the urgency and the respect the business, because you can come in on a very simple show and it wound up being, you know, humongous, you know, uh, it, it could be such a, a task on you that just getting it off on so many times, you know, that you have situations where you just make it on air. And it's like, and then you get through it, you fight through it. And it's like, you know, you have a sense of accomplishment and that's what we do. It's like, you know, it's, I think that's one of the unsung things that we do. I, I've always said when, uh, when I, and also during those nineties, uh, ESPN, uh, out of West Virginia, uh, Shoemaker, I believe his name was, he was the guy that was hiring. They, they, they were giving me directing jobs and crewing. I, I crewed for them for about 10 years. So I still have my crewing uh, list from John Crow. So I crewed and directed you know, TCU games, uh, South Florida games and stuff like that. And I learned uh, a, a certain concept that I hold on to this day. You know, maybe I'll you know, start getting some more, but I've learned that, you know, the producer directs the future. And the director directs the present. You know, the, the like producer's that. like, you know, okay, after the next foul, this is what we're going to do. After the, you know, the, you know, the next situation that happens, pertaining, this is what we're going to do, and and things like that. And then the director directs the present. And so it's lear learning the whole 
function of everything from master control all the way up from running tape and utilities and all that stuff and running camera. You know, I, I, I gained a whole, a huge respect for these directors and producers now that have uh, so much, uh, you know, that they do. Well, it's managing the chaos. I mean, that's the, the director. Not only are you in the present, you're also kind of managing the chaos. The producer can look forward and want to do some stuff, but sometimes you just got to, like, I love that. You manage the present. That's that's a great way to look at it. I've never heard that before. That's awesome. So your reputation grew as you went, and you started doing road games for the Portland Trailblazers, working with another great director. Tell me about that experience. Let me go back to my tape days. I ran tape with a couple of, you know, got, I was the baby of the, of the group. I was with Hiltono and uh, Rod King, I believe his name was, and I was sitting between those guys. <laughs> and they would laugh because we were three completely different people. And I'm like, you know, you know, Hill, you know, Hill if you ever known him, he has a handlebar uh, mustache. Yeah. And, you know, he's just, he's just a great guy. And Rod King, he's kind of, you know, straight and forward, you know, kind of guy. And I, I ran a tape with him. George Walsh uh, was an innovator. I'm so proud to be able to just just be to uh, say his name. George was one of the first innovators to do highlights at halftime. Because if you think when back then you only had two tape guys doing, uh, and you had the A B role, and you maybe do would do leading scores and do two plays each of a person. George would have like eight plays, and uh, Snapper Jones would just he would never look at uh, what they were, and he would uh, re- he would analyze him like he's saw it two or three times. It was just incredible. So uh Pat Lowry again, uh she leaves NASA. Uh she done some other incredible stuff. Next thing you know she winds up with Portland she's, and she and they uh, wanted a road T D for him. So I became their road T D. So uh I would fly, meet them uh, where they go where they went. And uh I think it's Paul Allen. Paul Allen on the Trailblazers. And he, uh, he, their whole, our whole production staff would travel commercially. They didn't travel with the team. I would meet them at the at the arena. We would set up on you know different switchers and stuff like that. At that time, it was three thousand and uh, the four thousand switcher and the Sony uh, seventy three fifty or something like that. And uh, I'm working for George Watson. They're they're coming in, and everybody has a job. It's like they the score bug, they, they had the score bug before the score bug. At that time, the score bug was the backside of fine. And, you know, and you just put, and you put the clocks in over that. And, uh, and, uh, and before that, you only uh, put the clocks in over camel one. And so when the score bug came out, it's like, oh, the clock is in, the, the bug is in all the time. It's graphic in all the time for the camera guys. They were nuts. I think a uh, Mitch, uh, I mentioned that in one of the previous ones. It's like everybody went, camera guys went nuts, and all of a sudden, you just, you know, you, you wind up adjusting. Oh, yeah. So we the, think about it now, and we have the bug in all the time. And with switchers, we have multiple keyers that have multiple DVEs and everything else. Back then, you had a couple of keyers and one DVE that you had to put in after the fact. I mean, it was, that was a crazy concept back then. Well, that's, that's why the downstream keyer was so, uh, was so vital back then because you only had two keys on ME3 and you're cutting the show. Then you only have two keys downstream. You got to have a telestrator, you know, so your replay had to go downstream over those things. So, I mean, it it was pretty, uh, pretty creative to make some of those things happen, you know, 
And so, uh, and the, and people took back, back, back bench feeds, but George, George, he, he, he brought a whole box that he would, uh, there was a scorebook for at that time that nobody, nobody's done. He brought his own operator and he would actually, well, there was certain creative things that, you know, that he would just allow you to do. And he would just make that judgment call. And one of them was, uh, and I laugh with it with the trailblazer guys now when I, I see them, cause we're, it's like a part of family when you pass fast with people. Uh, and I actually, when the clock got below 10 seconds or five seconds, or whatever he chose, uh, I would, uh, one of the keys would be, uh, you know, with the bug and the clock and somewhere or another, I had, I would have to layer it so I can put another key that had a, a luminous key, a matte key that, that I could bring in that key and bring it out. And that, that clock, that play clock would turn red and it go between red and white. And All it would that be, it would, to make it red. Oh yeah. my goodness. <laughs> So that, I thought you would enjoy that. You know, that, that was a, that was one of those creative things. It's like, you know, the play clock and, you know, then, you know, you, you have, the DV is, is locked up with the clocks itself. And then you, you, you just, you find ways to, and you're using the whole switch. You, you got a 300 switcher and you are uh, 3000 or, you know, and you had to learn how to build this on all those switches. No, and I'm sure it made you a much better TD for it. It's those kind of shows that make you the better TDs. You know, the big shows with the big switchers where you got all the resources and the everything else. I mean, you get spoiled. It's when you get on those smaller shows. I know for me, it's like switching a duel. It makes you a better TD because you really have to think about what you're doing. I mean, you have to figure out, where am I going to put this? Normally, I'd put it here, but I'm missing that ME. I'm missing that key. I miss, you know, there's stuff. Do you have less stuff? Let, let me interrupt you real quick. I wanted to mention this. Around that time, Fox was doing these national baseball games. I went to Chicago, and one of the most smooth, the smoothest crew I'm working with, Roy, I want to say Roy Alphas, we call him Uncle Roy, out of Cincinnati where he did the Braves, and uh, Dennis Galloway, he directed. And you're talking about the uh, producer directing the future and the director directing the present. Um, I mean, it was so smooth. Everybody knew what was going on. The communication from from each portion of the show, tape, audio, cameras, me. It was, I mean, there was, nobody was jumping around. It's like, oh, and and during that time, and you could have probably appreciate this, it's like, you always knew when you had a soundbite back in the day before that, uh, because by that time, the uh, I think this had to been like 98 or so, a little bit later after LSM got going. But, uh, before then, every each truck had a three quarter inch, and you would do the interviews and things like that on three quarter inch, and uh, and you, sometimes you would edit highlights, in, and you couldn't fast forward that three quarter inch without uh, taking the DT head off, that Dyna- the dynamic tracking head off, and then when you want to do you slow mo, you put the DT head on. As a TD, you knew when there's an interview when they pop that tape when that. Uh, monitor wall went gray and you pop that tape out and you pop it in it's like and you had to wait for it to queue up that you know it a thread and everything and it's like now you're ready then when the lsm came along that's why i wanted to tell the stories that when the lsm came along those interviews were immediate it's like you know go to red it's like okay is it an interview is it a replay it's like what are we going yeah. it's <laughs> not know? like the old days where you kind of knew right away now you have to kind of look and guess and you're not really sure I guess that's why they invented the interstitial. I'm sorry, I don't know. I can't imagine those days. I do remember operating on the early, I did the early LSM four page. So that was about as fancy as it got. But I still remember, yeah, you had an hour and you had very limited resources. And 
I, I don't oh. miss those days. Now we got 80 hours of hard drive and thousands of clips, and it's great. And, and another thing we used to do when we, when we were TD was uh, we had the 842 steel store. We had to, while we were TD in the show, we had to grab steels uh, that would be the rollouts going to break. And they would have to be like a high five here and then you have like three or four steels and you had to make a play sequence on an A42 on the side of you. And you would have to do that. And the replays, uh, and after a while, the replays went through the DVE and you had to trigger a sound effect, which is a, a GPI trigger to a, a DNF controller. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So those was in, and when we did high, halftime uh, stats and things like that, you would set up ME1 and it would be a box and you call the background up on your A42, you layer the graphics over it and you position the box over it. And, and some people would do uh, a couple of plays, uh, whatever it may be. And that was the way we did halftime stats and stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it is amazing how far the technology has come in a very short time. Uh, let's change change up a little bit. I want to talk some memories. Uh, I, 2001, you're doing the NFL, and 9-11 happens. And kind of like now, but where all sports stopped, but then it kicks back up. What was what was that first game back after 9-11 like when everything kind of came back? Well, uh, one of the biggest things that happened was uh, I was getting a taste of some national stuff, that, like I told you, with uh, Fox Baseball. And so Fox was giving me some more kind of regional national stuff doing some football games. So they had me on the roster to do his college football game. 9-11 hits, everything stops. Next thing you know, Fox is shuffling people around. And I get a phone call. And it's like, well, uh, we're going to send you to Oakland to do an NFL game. Well, in my mind, it's like, well, I have – because then you had to have the DV disc for the show and you had to have a switcher set up that you work with and things like that. Things started to be on uh, jump, jump drive. No, this, no, not, not jump drives. Just I was going to say zip this or yeah, stuff like that. Yes. So I started communicating with the TD that was supposed to, supposed to do the show. Now, granted, he's from the East Coast area. We're going through this. He's going through everything that's needed for the show, and he's prepping me for the show and things like that. And getting up to the last day where, you know, he's uh, we're, you know, locking things down a little bit. And he said he's get, he's getting ready to send me stuff because it's regular mail. It's you know I'm going <laughs> to get it in about three days. Oh no! And so and this is like this is all of this is happening within a, a week's time or so, a week or two or something like that, ten days. And I'm like, man, I'm so happy and so appreciative of you helping me. I'm on the phone telling him this that you're doing all of this, you know, for me. If I didn't have this, oh man, I don't know where I would be. And he's, and he's paused for a second. He said, you know what? I'm not going to send this stuff because this is going to show them that they can't sit there and just think think that we that the show just goes on like that, that they can find oh, out no. how important we are. I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, that's a, that's a disaster. <laughs> Lo and behold, I had to build each one of those uh, things. And, I had, of course, taking the notes along the way, I, had to, I knew what things were and uh, some of the elements and, and things like that. And I, and I was so nervous. I, I can't really tell you who my director and producer were. I know I, I got through this show. And then uh, the year after that, they put me on a package with uh, Ray Smoltz, which I'm very appreciative of, and Rich Dewey. And our announcer was Kurt Menefee was play-by-play, -play, and Ron Pitts was our color guy. That 2001, that was a very uh, big turning point of my life. 
man that's a that's that's a crazy experience it's uh, there's nothing worse than getting thrown into those kind of situations where you're just kind of okay now what i'm not sure what i do at this point so let's talk your favorite moments your favorite memories in the tv truck you've had a very long career you've done a bunch of different things what are one or two of your favorite memories in the tv truck one of them was i believe uh 2011 during the summertime i get a call saying uh how would you like to do the nflb show so now i'm working with michael franks and uh barry landis and uh they took me in and they were very patient with me and everything and we uh we got through that year and that was one of the most incredible we had some of the most incredible games from the very start being in chicago opening day in chicago is everybody if anybody experience, experiences NFL opening day in Chicago, that is unbelievable. The guy that sings and what they do and everything. Uh, we uh, went to Europe. I uh, had a Calypso switcher. And what happened with that was um, uh, they had old, old version software. So the things that I loaded from my show wasn't going to work. So I had to build the show from scratch pretty much. And, uh, and I had to make the same show happen that I've been, you know, been doing, even though I've been jump we've been jumping around on trucks and, uh, that, that came off. Okay. And we got through that and uh, Mike Davies was there with us and he and I, um, spent some time together. He's in, you know, got a, a friendship there. Uh, and, uh, after that, one of the big shows, we, we closed the season off with the NFC championship in San Francisco. Uh, playing against New Orleans. And that was from the very beginning, that game was going back and forth. And, you know, you're trying to concentrate on, uh, you know, all these uh, different things. And after a while, you know, for me, I, it could be a drawback. It could be a plus. I look, I, I look at graph. I like to look at graphics. I, look at, I like to look at the tape machines. I like to watch cameras when they make those sudden moves. I'll take the blame if I take it a little bit later and things like that. I, you know, I like to see everything. If a guy's getting ready to pull, I'll, I'll hold off because sometimes a guy may have a shot. Then he pulls and goes to another shot. You know, you know, I know, you know, just to, and you have to keep the director in the rhythm. So we're doing this game and I'm so caught up in uh, the game and, uh, and all of these things that you lose, I kind of, after we get through the opening there, then you lose the nervousness, the butterflies and things of doing the show of the magnitude of the show. And it came out to be like, came down to the last minute, you know, I think this guy, Davis, the tight end of uh, catches the winning, uh, uh, oh, crazy touchdown or whatever. And everybody's going crazy. We interview the guy and he's like, you know, this NFL football player, you know, got tears rolling down his eyes and he's just, you know, it's, it was just absolutely uh, amazing. It was, it was just not. And from from that, I uh, Michael Franks would have me do uh, the New England Patriots, and I have uh, have a lot of gratitude to them for just uh, allowing me to do their shows since then to present. Another memory you mentioned to me earlier was the Big Twelve Championship in 2017. What was that experience like for you? That was my Super Bowl, my World Series. My you know, we had a 40 camera show about 16 tape outputs or something like that. Jeremy Green and uh, Bo Garrett. And, and let me tell you this, the, the year before that, I had the pleasure to work with Jeremy and Gowan uh, on the 2016 year, and that was amazing. But that 2017 year, doing the Big 12 playoffs, 
just managing the show and uh, the crew coming together and pulling off this massive show was just, uh, it was, it was, it was just amazing. And, you know, and, and it's, you know, and just like saying, once you get into it, the nerves kind of go away. To me, it, it was like playing ball. When I played sports, it's like you get into it and you just head on. You're just giving it your all and, you know, you don't want to let the next man down and it's a team effort and they're doing the same for you and it's, uh, you're going for it. And it was, uh, I think it was uh, the biggest show that I've uh, done that was my show completely. We didn't sub-switch anything and it was just absolutely amazing. To that day, because of that show, I built a 60 camera, 30 tape machine show just in case. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. You're one of my favorite people to work with. I, those two years on college football with you guys was one of my favorite memories. I mean, it's where I got my nickname, Uncle Jesse. It's where I got E-Rock. I got a bunch. I mean, such a great time with all those guys. And so stay safe. Uh, it looks like you got a beautiful backyard. Nice day in Houston. Enjoy the day. <laughs> and, 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 and I want to let everybody know, you know, doing these tough times, you know, and I tell people to get into business, spend time with family. George Washington, one of the uh, invaluable uh, pieces of information that he told me. When I left to go on the road, I would have dinner with my family so nobody has to do anything. We just have just, you know, uninterrupted time. Nobody has to clean up. And coming back from the road, that's what I did. So during these times, spend time with family, treasure family. Don't let the freelance work and everything determine who you are, you know, let the life around you, your family and everything, you know, be the person that you are. But God bless everybody. I mean, I really am praying for everybody. There's a lot of people that are going through tough times. Hold on tight. You know, we're going to get through this together. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Damon. You have a good one. All right. Have a good one, man. Thanks, my man. We'll see you. <laughs> To watch past episodes or for more information on today's show, visit BehindTheCamerapodcast.com and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.